All right, good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to this week's news from the drug war front. My name is Jeff. My co presenter is Marion. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Well, morning, I'd say. I'd hesitate to use the term good. Well, it's cold out there, Jeffrey. Cold so morning. Cold. <laughs> so stay in bed, my darlings. Uh, or go and get yourself a cup of coffee while we do the morning record song. And you said there was more of this weather to oh, come. Oh, look, they yeah. say there's going to be nine today. I doubt that it'll get there, really. It just yeah. won't. It'll be nine feels like four, I reckon. Feels cold. And it's going to be cold all week, so stay in bed and just rerun news from the drug war front. Yeah? <laughs> Sounds right. And we have Louise uh, dropping hey, in. To say, good morning, Louise. Morning. Just say howdy. Good to morning. see you. Thanks yeah, look, I was me. a bit transfixed. Um, sorry I didn't see you waiting there to be let in. But, um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I suddenly heard, was listening with harp and ear to the show before ours, Earth Matters, and thought, yeah. I know that voice. That's right. That was Catherine. That was Catherine, my sister. Jeffrey, yeah. And, um, so well done, Catherine. Yeah, look, she's always had a, a, a social conscience and been interested in social justice and yeah. involved in a lot of grassroots campaigns. And, well, and, it's interesting stuff too because, I, you know, we've been wondering where's the plan for this pandemic, as like, where's the plan for the bushfires? Where's the plan for Climate natural disasters? Or, yeah. And that's just what Catherine was talking about, was actually, you know, having a local venue for people to run to in times of crisis, like bushfires, like, you know, floods. Um, certainly not like COVID, but, and we still don't have a plan for COVID, for crying out loud. No. Never have had. Come on, government, get your act together. But anyway, you know, it's good to hear that they're doing something locally down Maruya Way. And she says that they've had to raise their own money, um, which seems peculiar to me because I was pretty sure that Berejiklian was uh, intent on setting up a state-based um, uh, natural disasters organisation headed by Shane... Um, can't remember his name. That's really dreadful. But it was really good with the... With the fire service, with the country fire service, yeah. and yeah, I know uh, he, he did a lot of really good media stuff. Kept people informed on their toes and relaxed. I thought, yeah, you know, really well presented man. But they yeah. haven't really followed up with it as far as you know, I haven't heard about it anyway. Anyway, oh. Oh, what you hear and what's happening, obviously, obviously different things. Yeah. Still, it would have been nice to know that he was actually doing something, not just getting paid to be there. I think she made a good point about how a lot of things can be done by people and actually doing things is an expression of hope in itself. And um, you don't hear about them unless something like that happens. Yeah. You know? And, you know, so it's good. Thank you, why Catherine. community radio is so important. Absolutely. You get to hear these That's, things. And don't we say that every week. We community do. radio brings to you the stuff you will not hear anywhere else. That's right. And we have not been informed about a lot of stuff. I think about what I don't know mm. about COVID would fill several buckets, you know, just how, you know, how long are you infectious for? Do you know? No. No, me neither. Nobody has actually sent us a stack of info on the nature of the virus, on what the pandemic means, on the pl a plan. Mm. <laughs> Somebody nice. give me a plan. Why has the government not got a plan? Mm. Uh, but I did find out why the expert committee, whatever it's called, Odega, why it doesn't um, do any public, any media stuff, because I saw that um, military gentleman doing some media stuff very badly, very badly. I mean, you could see Shane McAuliffe just going, <gasps> in fact, he did when he said, you know, was trying to predict how much time the virus would be around for it, did not make any kind of presentable case to listen to. So, you know, not a media magnate, no. not a media presenter. And people are confused and scared and And they're not getting any information, yeah. Jeffrey, you know, it's not... so it's really frightening. Yeah, it adds to people's fears rather than... Absolutely. Keeping them in the dark and feeding them on rubbish does not make a good mushroom, really. No. Anyway, welcome listeners to today's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma is a peer-based community-controlled drug use organisation with over two decades serving the ACT. Uh, regrettably, the global policies of prohibition remain largely unchanged, uh, well, certainly here in Australia, so human rights abuses and the stigmatising and discrimination of people who use drugs continue to take place. Um, we'd like to take the opportunity to acknowledge the efforts of peers and activists who've contributed 
to the fight against the war on people who use drugs and also reaffirm our commitment to continue fighting against the harms caused by prohibition in all of its manifestations. So the aim of the show is uh, hopefully to inform and also educate listeners about uh, how we see um, prohibition being largely a failure and to also promote the services offered by Karma and other organisations in the ACT. Mm. Karma, in fact, does provide a wide range of services such as client advocacy, peer treatment support, education, information, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The office is located in the Churches Centre at Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way in Belconnen, and the office hours are 10am to 4pm Monday to Friday. The telephone number is 62533643. Karma uh, continues to run its opioid uh, Australian first opioid overdose recognition and response with naloxone workshops. That needs to be said in one breath, otherwise it looks sounds really peculiar. It also does brief interventions with individual clients, but you do end up with uh, a couple of packets of um, the nasal spray of naloxone, which will stop people from overdosing from opioids. So it's really essential that you get in touch with Karma and contact Dave or Damo, find out when the workshops... The next workshop, by the way, is the 27th of July. Well, there's one scheduled for the 27th of July. 29th, and I think. So it's the 27th here. Oh, sorry, my mistake. You're right, yes. And August the 10th for information to, or to book a place. Call Dave or Damo. And if you can't get into the workshop, they can do a minimal intervention. It takes 10 minutes and you learn how to use naloxone and you get to at least two of the nasal sprays of naloxone, as I said. Okay, Karma can also help people with a wide range of issues, including opioid maintenance Treatment programs, that's methadone, buprenorphine, or more recently new long-lasting injectable forms of buprenorphine known as buvital or sublocade. Support with treating hepatitis C, and we might remind you about the Reach, Teach, Treat um, combined project being run by Karma and Hepatitis ACT, which is double gain is the short name for it. It's a fabulous project with really good staff supporting it. So... I really exhort you to get in touch with that if you think you have hepatitis so you'll need a blood test. You get paid every time you turn up to have a blood test or to exchange information or to get your prescription if you need hepatitis C treatment with the uh, <clears throat> double-acting anti... Dual-acting? Direct-acting Direct antivirals. Acting. I'll get it right sooner or later, Geoffrey. Um, maybe not this week. <laughs> okay. So the availability of detox and rehab services in the ACT, which is really limited, as we mentioned last week, a woman who was on um, social media um, who'd been waiting, who said she couldn't get in for five months to a treatment residential treatment centre is not a good look. A wide-ranging negative impact of stigma and discrimination, which is dreadful, as we know, difficulties getting access to proper pain relief, and we may tell you a bit more about that later. We've got a really good article on that. Um, in fact, all issues faced by people impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs, which is what it is. It's not a war on drugs, it's a war on us. Indeed. And Karma is there to offer support. Um, That's right. Advocacy. And to actually fight back with us. Yeah. yeah. And to provide us with some support. And provide a space that isn't judgmental. Um, no, and it's a peer-based service, so, which means there's no power differential between service provider and service consumer. Just the service provider often... We just find that people are not... As drug users are not good at advocating on their own behalf. Um, it's much better if you have somebody with you. Just because we are so used to being discriminated against, we're used to being told we're not worthwhile... We need somebody with us to give us that confidence to either represent ourselves or to have someone speak on our behalf, and that's what karma does for us. Look, it's in my experience, it's incredibly um, effective as a way to support, you know, well, well, ha we, having an advocate with yep, you. And, and having a presence in all of those meetings where they talk about us, Jeffrey, And, you know, we've been saying for years about, you know, Talk to us, not about us, you know, but it still doesn't happen unless somebody like Chris or someone, one of the staff from Karma is actually in the meeting where they're making decisions 
um, about. All right, that was the Velvet Underground and beginning to see the light. It's oh, coming up about uh, 11 10, 10, minutes nearly? Yeah. to 11, yeah. listening to news from the drug war front with Jeff and Marion. And uh, we've got uh, Louise dropping in hey. to um, uh, help <laughs> to give us a hand. Yeah, yeah, thanks for inviting me. Check it out. Always pleased to have you here, Louise. Thank and, uh, you. And Louise is um, doing a, um, a combined, is it a pilot project? Yeah. A combined pilot project with Monica. Yeah. Correct. Do you want to just tell us quickly about that, Louise, because it's just a really interesting yeah, so, idea. Yeah, so it's a support group for women. It's called the Jude Byrne Memorial, Memorial Support Group. Oh, yeah, support group. and it's okay. um, it particularly is working around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who have had their children removed by CYPS. Yeah. Um, so what we're looking at doing is a support group that will run over sort of four weeks and I guess the first three weeks of that is going to be like conversations and, you know, I myself have had my children removed twice yeah. from care and protection. So Which is a horrible process as anybody yeah. who's in that position knows. That that's really something. It's not only for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women no. but principally it would be directed at that group. But totally. women of any nationality doesn't matter black white orange whatever if you've had your children removed by cyps you know what a horrible position it is to be in how judgmental yeah the operation is and what you need to know to present yourself to cyps on their so-called visits is really important so you're going to focus on that kind of stuff aren't you yeah conversation it's going to be a real bonding and a connection time for women to sit down and and chat about their their struggles with meeting the bar when it comes to cyps and you know obviously myself um having my child removed twice and now he's back in my care you know and that was due to obviously drug use so it's about what you need to... He's taken off you because of drug use. I doubt that he was brought back to you because of it. No, (laughs) no, unfortunately, you know. So it's about, you know, how to present and how to do uh, child visits a little bit better and then we'll get a guest speaker in, hopefully. Because it's a performance. Very much so. And And it's a process. Yeah, Jude... Sorry, Louise, to cut you off. (laughs) Jude Byrne um, did a project like that in the early days of uh, Karma when it was um, in, in its active league incarnation so it's really nice that it's been named after her because it was a it was a groundbreaking group she did some really groundbreaking projects and those those really proud to have been associated with her so monica and louise are doing this and uh we haven't got anything definite in front of us at the moment for, from Monica, so we might wait until yeah. Monica well, gives days, us something. It? It's early days, It's only yeah, right it's at only the very yeah. beginning of planning. But so. I guess if any women out there are, um, you know, struggling because yeah. their child has been removed, or interested, karma. If they're listening and yep. interested, maybe get in contact with Monica. Definitely. Or Louise yep. on 62533643. Yep. yep, definitely. Okay, and we'll have, when we get more, we'll presented to you when there's awesome. more fixed dates and that, a full project to go on we will present it. I just wanted Louise to have a chance to at least yep. put a dibs in on it so we could, but not overdo it because we would like Monica to come in and talk about it, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Really? I think when it's, it's when it's settled, when there's more about it ready to go. I think it's really, really highly needed. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it just, it's such it's an exciting idea. But we've got a few other things, Jeffrey, haven't um, we? Yeah, look, uh, the Reach, Teach, Treat initiative is still going. That's the collaboration between Karma and Hepatitis ACT, giving people peer support and also some financial support to get tested and, and treated. And we've had fabulous C. feedback on that, haven't we? Great feedback. Yeah. The phlebotomist at Hepatitis C oh, is getting rave reviews, yep. which is great. He's uh, rave reviews. I love that expression. <laughs> so we're I'm pleased sure about Chris that. I'm sure Chris would be pleased to know that. Yeah. Well, it's very important. Well, yeah. It is. I, very few people get that kind of feedback immediately about, you know, that they are so easy to approach mm-hmm. or be approached by, you know, just such a nice person. Mm-hmm. It's really big, good to hear. And difference. we've had some really good numbers down there. I was at um, Hepatitis ACT a week uh, last week yep. and, you know, it's just such a safe space for people to come in and, you know, not have to worry and not there's yep. no judgment. Um, so, yeah, the next one is on the 27th, which is next Wednesday, So um, which is the uh, workshop. So, you know, people can come along to that. Oh, good. I think it's been a fabulous um, 
project collaboration from the word and go. It's really nice to have Karma and Hepatitis ACT working together. Yep. I mean, the reality of life is that they're dealing with the same kinds of customers. Yeah, yep, definitely. Uh, just the the focus. One is exclusively bloodborne diseases, and and Karma, of course, is a much wider approach. But the uh, the customers or the clients or the people that come in are basically the same kind of people. So exactly. it's just good to have that collaboration. It's, a, it's healthy. Yeah, we're going to be doing another uh, barbecue at Hepatitis ACT for yeah. World Hepatitis Day as well. Oh, great. So really that's what the 28th World Hepatitis Day, isn't it? Correct, yep. Yep. And as that was what I think the date you were thinking of was World Hepatitis Day. I think Day, that is the date that was yeah. in the back of my mind. There's so many dates. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got one more. The 21st is International Drug Users Remembrance Day, That's which right, um, it is we shouldn't true. overlook. And um, if people are interested in following up, uh, Input, the, which is the International um, Drug Network User Group. Network of people group, who use drugs, yeah. yeah um, go to their website. So you just type, type in INPUD and uh, they're putting on uh, some events, like you can send photos of people, you can you know, do um, stories about people's lives. The theme is No More Loss. And there's going to be a webinar. We wish. Um, but if you, it's, the webinar is going to be on the 21st of July. I think it's unfortunately going to be on midnight our time, but that's one of the problems living in the Southern <laughs> Hemisphere. Yeah, um, well, yeah, and this time zone, yeah, we're pretty much, we're like two hours away from the international dateline, <laughs> which is a real problem. Well, for a lot of things in Europe. It's, it is, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we've had trouble getting the Olympics, you know, is because of the... The televising and uh, what time there's all of the people who would be watching it would be up so that, you know, the TV channels um, don't like to run 24 hours of just sports, you know, so us being so close to the international dateline makes it such a different time zone I from people Japan in Europe actually... where the major um, viewers would be. Yeah. Japan actually is one of the, the best time zones, I think, we've had people are excited yeah, about the Olympics. close to us given. and close to yeah. Asia, yeah. So um, keep that in mind. 21st yep. is International Drug Users Remembrance Day. The next Murugadi workshop for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients is scheduled for July the 29th from 11.30 yep. till 2.30. Uh, the topic is ICE. Uh, for information or to book a, a place for this event, call Monica or Eve Lee on the Karma number, 6253 3643. Yep. And uh, did we mention the next opioid? Um, I mentioned one of them, not the second one. So you could do that anyway. It's not, no problem repeating it. The next two naloxone workshops, or to give it its full title, a mouthful, Opioid Overdose Recognition and Response with Naloxone. The next two workshops are scheduled for July the 27th and August the 10th. So for information about uh, the naloxone workshops or to book a place, call Dave or Damo on 62533643. And as we've said many times, that's a, a no-brainer, really. You yeah. get trained yeah. how to save someone's life and you get given the nasal spray Nixoid uh, to take away with you and have on hand. Mm, to great. I keep telling you, I've always got two or one nasal spray at least on me, always. So and I actually need to go back... See Dave and would demo and get another couple because I'm, I'm running out. But it's just handy to always have mm. with you. You just never know when you're going to see somebody who's uh, overdosed. Um, and and save it a doesn't life. matter who save you life. are. Mm. Yeah, you just Definitely. saving a life makes you feel like a hero. And yep. in fact, you are a hero, bringing somebody back to life, even though they don't know that's what you've done. They will find out sooner or later, but it's worth having that naloxone on you just to be able to stick the nozzle up someone's nose and push um, push it and it works. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's There's nothing invasive, nothing intrusive, apart from sticking the nozzle up someone's nose, But and then you've saved a life it's immediately. It actually works incredibly well. Yeah. It's um, designed to do one thing and one thing only, and it does it well. It does. Yeah. And it's something that Karma's incredibly proud of. And, and justifiably so, Jeffrey. And we've saved, you know, look, dozens, if not well, hundreds, I've, you know, I've done it four or five times myself. So, yeah. you know, that's... One person. Yeah. And that's just me. Yeah, yeah. So it just would be... I just find it amazing that people don't are not lining up, queuing up to do it for miles because it's just such an easy thing to learn to do. Well, a lot of people, I think, think it won't happen to me you know there's a lot of that sort of thought yeah, well particularly with younger people yeah. it's like the COVID issue they uh, don't think it's going to affect them 
Yeah. It won't happen to me. Yeah. But unfortunately, people are not that sensible. Mm. Um, And you just, because it's an illicit drug, opiates are generally illicit. You don't know what strength you're getting. You don't know what the quality is like. You don't know how much you're buying Mm. for the 80 bucks that you're outlaying. Even if you're mixing it with with another drug, you know. That's right. And often people are more inclined to use again Mm. when they've had a drink. So if they've had a bit of alcohol, they're, ah, okay, I might have a shot. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they'll ring up and say, can you get on for me? And But not tell the person who's getting on for them that they've already had a bit of alcohol, they're already a little bit drunk, or even that they just got alcohol in their system. That's a really good point, man. Dangerous. Okay, we've got 15 seconds. We're coming up to the 11 o'clock news. All right, welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front. Uh, Louise, we've got the... um, theme for this year for World Hepatitis Day, Hepatitis Can't Wait, I believe is the... Yeah, so it's the Hepatitis Can't Wait campaign theme for World Hepatitis Day in July 28th. Hepatitis Can't Wait is a new campaign theme to launch World Hepatitis Day 2021. This will bring World Hepatitis Australia and our global network of over 300 members and nearly 100 countries together to lead the campaign internationally. Launched in May, the Hepatitis Can't Wait global campaign highlights the need to accelerate hepatitis elimination efforts, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Alongside this, it will also highlight the social injustice and inequity caused by the current lack of action on hepatitis elimination and focus on the positive actions needed to get on track to meet our 2030 elimination goals. Our next show will, sorry, our next week's show will have Josh Anzuk, Ansel Larzak, um, who is the executive of Hepatitis ACT and who will be discussing all issues regarding hepatitis, including the highly successful collaboration between Karma and Hepatitis ACT. Yeah, look, I've met, not uh, met Josh yet, but I believe you have. Yeah, met- so I've worked with Josh. I've, got, I've been down at um, Hepatitis ACT on a, on a Wednesday when the blood test's been done and he's just, he's really inviting a wealth of knowledge very um, approachable. So I think he's going to be a great uh, guest speaker next week to talk about sort of the benefits of coming down and getting tested for and obviously World Hepatitis AC, uh, World Hepatitis Day as well. I'm really looking forward to having Josh on. And, um, yeah, keep that in mind, uh, listeners. We'll have Josh on for, next I'd week. say, the bulk of the program. Yeah, and yeah. I, when you emailed and said you confirmed him as a guest speaker, I, I yeah. thought I'd ask you. You know, we always ask guest speakers, would you prefer some pre-prepared written questions yep. or would you prefer a more free-flowing conversation? Yeah. And he got back straight to me, no, no, free-flowing yep. conversation is the way to go. Definitely free-flowing. He's def- you know, He's got a wealth of knowledge there and he's definitely doing great things down at Hepatitis ACT. Great to have him on, definitely. No, we're really pleased to have him. Um, just uh, one other point, uh, as we've said, 28th of July each year is World Hepatitis Day and its um, purpose obviously is to raise awareness of the global burden of viral hepatitis and Mm. to influence real change. So of course in Australia, the National World Hepatitis Day campaign is coordinated by Hepatitis Australia and they're trying to mobilise national action on the elimination of viral hepatitis in Australia through a coordinated response. And their objectives for World Hepatitis Day 2021 are to mobilise the community, organisations, research initiatives, media and government to take action in support of the elimination of viral hepatitis as a public health threat by 2030. And that's been the government's ambition is to eliminate Mm. hep C by 2030. I still think that the sort of um, projects that Karma and ACT have been collaborating on, where peers and people are incentivised to get the blood tested, to find out their status and then get assisted through the yeah. treatment process is yeah, the way to go. Really good idea, yeah. great way to recruit. And if you want to get rid of hepatitis, you've got to get to the people who yeah. have hepatitis. Yeah. And it's pain-free, you know. I think a lot of people are still under the understanding of the, the old treatment. Yeah. But, um, you know, with the, with the new treatment that we, that's going on with Karma and hepatitis ACT is pain-free, you know. Yeah. So coming, get the blood test, it's an oral tablet, it's, you know... No side effects. No side effects. Yep. It's such a breakthrough. It yeah, is. such a breakthrough. And, you know, people are just, 
you know, just got to get out there and, and you know, like I said, it's pain-free. And it's I not know the people who are undergoing that program right now and they have no problems with the um, double-acting antiretrovirals. Mm. You know, Direct-acting direct antivirals. Whatever they call it. Yeah. Those DAAs. DAAs. <laughs> DAAs. <laughs> the DAAs. But they're really good and I just can't say it, Morix, you know, can't exhort you hard enough to say get in there, get involved yeah. in the program. Um, and you 12 supported, weeks and it's over. Yeah, and you're totally supported along the way. We've got the three workshops that we do, you know, that we have lunch, we have conversations and, and you get to learn about the treatment and learn about your liver and, you know, what's kind of going to keep it keep it good going forward. So it's, it, it's look, definitely it's, great. And, it's and a, you get paid as well, yeah. so yeah. why not? Which it's I think a so. program that's worth doing, you know. It's a really good model mm. for any kind of illness, but particularly blood-borne viruses, where there is an aim to get rid of it by 2030, if you don't involve the affected and infected community, you've got no hope. Yeah. yeah. And and the only way you're going to get to people that are hard to reach or still believe, like you said, Louise, yeah. that it's like the old interferon-based treatments and they're worried about, you know, horrible side effects, you know, is, is through peer-based organisations and people that actually... Um, have the trust of people that yeah that, that's right they yeah. trust the source if you trust the source of your information you're much more likely to take it in learn it yeah. and know it yeah. both intellectually and emotionally so and knowing something by having heard it is one thing knowing it and believing it is another mm. thing yeah and we found that you know the, the people that are active using at the moment it's just it's a conversation it's telling the next person and the next person it's that's kind right. of you know going through word peer, of mouth that's, that's what peer education exactly. is you telling someone and somebody them telling someone yeah. else and it just expands yeah. exponentially because that's the way information flows most yeah. efficiently absolutely and you make a very good point louise is um one of the things that I think people may not realise that Australia is sort of one of the few countries that doesn't place, um, you know, criteria for eligibility. Yeah, like, that's lo- right. In a lot of countries, you've got to be not using drugs. You have to yeah. be abstinent yeah. for a certain amount of time. And that's not the case at the moment. Like a lot of people in our in our workshops at the moment are, are users, you know, and that's that's kind of like the the people that we're we're aiming to get. And you they're know? the hardest it's, people to reach. That's and right. particularly you either if you insist that they're not using you, either get people who are trying not to use or you don't get them, or yeah. you get people who lie. Yeah. What's the point of insisting upon people behaving in a certain way before they get access to treatment? All they're going to do is lie to get access to the treatment yeah. if that's what they know they need. And yeah. Drug users need to know that they need these drugs. Yeah. They need to understand that and they won't understand it if you put them through hoops. Yeah. And you yeah. don't need to cease using for the no, treatments to be no. effective. And it's, a, it's such a non-judgmental space. You can you can come in and, and it's not about what you do or what you've been doing. It's about getting the treatment that you required and, and clearing your hepatitis C. So And being accepted for who you are. For who you are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the message from all of us here is um, encourage yeah. um, <laughs> yourself or anyone you know. I mean, for a lot of people, they contracted the virus back when they might have used only a short amount of time in their youth and they've just forgotten about it. Yeah. And didn't know that they had yeah. it, yeah. I mean, that's it, it's a sleeping, you know, virus. So, and yeah. a sleeping danger, yeah. yeah. And I, I can assure you, having seen a couple of close friends um, not get treated before they progress to liver cancer it's not a particularly nice way to you know it's a dreadful way to go and it's yeah i mean given the it's shocking you really don't need to die that way no and given that it can be cured yeah by using these daas not just treated so that it goes back to being a sleeping disease you can cure it and your liver regenerates it cures itself after using mm. the DAAs and that's remarkable it is remarkable yeah and I think it's one of the the most positive policy decisions mm. that people this government has made y- yeah well yeah yeah any, any government for quite some time yeah um, it's a it, and it's fabulous it's you don't have to pay for it in quite the opposite you, you get, get paid, paid for <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah so yeah yeah 
get we, into it. We get will hear it. lots more next week from Josh. Um, totally, yeah. Oh, Josh coming in next week. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that bit. Brain free. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> As I guess for probably most of the show. Um, look, I'll just uh, finish the points that um, yep. Hep, Hep Australia have um, put on their flyer. Uh, they hope to also challenge discrimination and systemic barriers faced by people impacted by viral hepatitis, amplify the diverse voices of people impacted to influence public dialogue, decision-making and health policy development, inform and educate the community, priority populations and health service providers, celebrate and reinforce achievements towards hepatitis elimination, coordinate a national agenda of activity and events and encourage national use of the World Hepatitis Day theme and national assets. And the global theme is Hep Can't Wait. Mm. Will we go to a song? Let's do that. I think uh, one of our favourites is uh, Rodriguez and Sugar Man. All right, that was uh, Rodriguez and Sugar Man. Okay, it's about uh, 17 minutes after 11. You're with Jeff, Marion and Louise in the 2XX studio, 98.3 FM. And just a quick shout-out for 2XX. Um, Public radio is It's very the best, important, isn't yeah. yeah. They've been great supporters and friends of uh, news from the drug war front. It's been going to air for over 15 years. So, yeah. Um, and remember when we had the lockdown of the office for a couple of months? It Absolutely. was a vital when, when way. It, we hadn't been here, um, there would have been no communication mm. between Karma. Well, between a lot of the service what providers, services, really, yeah. if yeah. we hadn't had this vehicle to use. Public radio is fabulous. Um, a lot of the services were totally shut down, but Karma had communication with the users and the clientele and could get its projects out there and known about and... You listeners knew what was going on because of public radio. Without public radio, you wouldn't have known what was happening. In fact, many of the services didn't know what was happening. It was because we were still going. They had the opportunity to get information out. Yeah. We could even tell people what services were available. Other places had just shut down and put a notice yeah. on their front door. Right. So people didn't know till they'd turn up what was open and what wasn't open, and that's not a way to operate in this day and age. But pandemics do that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, but so through the pandemic, we were able to operate just because public radio allowed us to go to air and tell us, tell the community what mm. was happening. So if you're in a position to support 2XX with, um, financially or with time, volunteering, there's a lot of... Um, you know, it runs on a smell of an oily rag, to be honest. It does. Um, um, and join as a member. Yeah, join as a member. Become a member of, public, of 2 double X. Yeah. Yep. People-powered radio. No effort. Only sign a cheque or deposit some money into their account. And and if you can't afford to do that, ring them up or send them a text. Even send a text to Karma and say you like the program. Yeah, we love yeah. hearing from people. Feedback is a yeah. good thing. And we like to know what you want to hear. Indeed. Okay, we've got uh, a piece which I think caught my eye. It's a um, petition that has been directed at the Health Minister, Greg Hunt, to try and end discrimination against uh, medicinal cannabis patients uh, when it comes to being subjected to uh, losing your licence under Australia's drug driving laws. Uh, and it starts off um, with, I'm Steve, I live with neuropathic pain, insomnia, and have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression as a result. My day-to-day -day life used to be pretty unmanageable. The drugs I used to treat my conditions ended up making me feel much worse and I was indeed suicidal. But when I accessed legal medicinal cannabis, my life changed for the better. The problem is that now I'm prohibited from using my car, even when I'm not impaired, because of my responsible use of medicinal cannabis. This is because our outdated laws treat legal medicinal cannabis use as the same as, quote, drug driving, grouping this legal prescription together with illicit and substances that do impair driving. And we've talked about this many times many before, times. but this goes into it in a bit more depth. The article goes on, like so many others who take this life-changing medication, Steve is legally prohibited from driving and is at risk of serious roadside trouble unless these laws change. Many doctors shy away from prescribing this potentially life-changing medication, even when it's right for the patient, because of the drug-driving laws. Medicinal cannabis is perfectly legal, 
but it is only it's the only prescribed medication without a legal defence against positive roadside mouth swab tests for presence, making our current drug driving laws discriminatory against medicinal cannabis patients. Of the 65,000 plus patients across Australia, the average is 49 years old. Uh, the average medicinal cannabis patients in Victorians are women aged 55 years old. These people are our family, our friends and our co-workers. They are parents who need to pick up the kids after school or get across town to do their jobs. While these discriminatory laws remain in place, they can't. Let's be clear, we want our roads to be safe. Any driver who is impaired is a safety risk to themselves and others. But the truth is, impairment from medicinal cannabis cannot be tested from a mouth swab. And we often say this about other drugs too, Jeffrey. but medicinal cannabis is a real problem. Mm. Um, Research shows that the effects of cannabis last as little as two to eight hours from after consumption, but it can still be detected in tests up to a week later. This is long beyond the time of impairment. We already know that the presence of THC does not equate to driver impairment. Um, The US Congress publicly presented research proving there is no correlation between the presence of cannabis and impairment. Still, the presence of THC remains the sole factor holding these patients back from driving. Our laws avoid the truth that impairment can come from an excess or misuse of many legal drugs. This includes conventional medications like opiates, benzodiazepines, amphetamines and alcohol. In fact, research shows that cannabis has a lower crash risk than benzodiazepines and opiates. Actually, that's an interesting point, is that there's a lot of um, prescribed drugs that do have an have impact li- on cognitive... Definitely do impact and do impair your driving capacity. I mean, shouldn't it be about impairment to drive? That's It should be about impairment, but measuring impairment from those drugs is impossible. Mm. And that's really what the article is saying. You just cannot measure impairment simply because of the presence of that drug. It, it's the same, really, with methadone, if you think about it. But this is a legally, this is also a legally prescribed drug. Yes. Uh, now, um, okay. Our laws avoid the truth that impairment can come from an excess or misuse of many legal drugs. Um, I did that one. However, Australian patients who test positive for the presence of these other potentially impairing drugs who can provide evidence of a prescription, are free to drive because they have a legal medical defence. It should be no difference for medicinal cannabis. We can keep our roads safe by relying on scientific evidence, not outdated laws based on misinformation. Yeah, and the piece concludes, we're calling for a legal defence for drivers who test positive for the presence of legally prescribed medicinal cannabis. When, one, the driver has a valid doctor's prescription for a medicine containing THC. Two, the offence does not involve dangerous or reckless driving. And three, an officer cannot establish driver impairment. Mm. We need to give people prescribed medicinal cannabis the assurance that they won't be treated as criminals for taking illegal prescription medicine under the care of a medical practitioner. Mm. Absolutely. Look, I that's, think that's a good point. And there's a, um, a national position, a petition, sorry. We need your help, it says. Please sign the national petition and circulate this message through your networks. And there is a uh, page in a bit. Dear colleagues and members and volunteers, HRA is a founding member and financial supporter of Drive Change, a national medicinal cannabis law reform campaign fighting to create drug driving law reform that's fair, equal and improves public health. This week we have launched a national petition to end these discriminatory laws. Um, now, it goes on to say pretty much the same thing that we said, uh, that there's no correlation between presence and impairment. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> then it goes on to talk about laws on public health. But I think if you put drive change into a search drive engine... Drive change is what it says. We've just launched a petition to both state and federal governments help show the groundswell of support. 
for putting an end to these discriminatory laws. Please take a minute to review the and sign the petition from the entire Drive Change team. So it's a that's the website, yeah, yeah. Drive Change. Yep. And sign the petition and get it through to Greg Hunt and just hope like hell that they take notice. <laughs> although you know, and hopefully it will open up the discussion. If more nothing broadly. else, I mean, will get, the public discussion is what's important. Getting information out there that is right, correct information that people can take notice of and with any luck provide some law reform. Although, yeah. you know, for this we pray and have <laughs> been forever. But this is actually really, it's now and it needs to change now. We can't wait for 10 years to get rid of the whole of, you know, the international the uh, convention on well, drugs, but just locally change the laws on driver impairment in particular. But with medicinal cannabis, where you've got a prescription, I think it's only fair to start. Med- All right, that was the Rolling Stones and uh, Brown Sugar. Okay, it's about 28 minutes to uh, 12. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff, Marion, and Louise. And we're going to do a story from the US about OxyContin. Yeah, the- we just thought we'd follow up a bit on uh, on Purdue, uh, who um, make OxyContin and made an awful lot of money and killed an awful lot of people. So the article it starts More US states reach a deal in OxyContin maker Purdue's bankruptcy. And this is from Al Jazeera from July the 8th. If approved by the court, the bankruptcy plan would include legal releases shielding Purdue Farmers LP's wealthy owner, wealthy owners, the Sackler family, from future litigation, which sounds a bit dodgy. Fifteen more US states reached an agreement with Purdue Farmer LP and members of its wealthy Sackler family owners that moved the OxyContin maker make a step closer to resolving widespread opioid litigation and exiting bankruptcy protection. Um, All but a handful of states nationwide now support Purdue's bankruptcy plan, with the latest agreement emerging after weeks of mediation. The deal, outlined in bankruptcy court papers filed late on Wednesday was reached after Sackler family members agreed to contribute another $50 million US towards a proposed litigation settlement and to release tens of millions of additional internal documents for public inspection. Another $175 million would come from relinquishing control of family charitable institutions. Sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? $175 million of so-called charitable institutions. The Sackler family members have also agreed to a prohibition with regard to naming rights associated with charitable contributions until litigation settlement funds are fully paid, the document said. So it sounds like what they've they've been trying to do is to put their money, get rid of their money through charitable donations. And dress up their reputation. To make it look like they, yeah, to dress up their reputation, make it look like they can't afford to pay off the victims of overdose or the families who've been victims of overdose because there have been like 90,000 people odd annually dying from overdose from OxyContin, prescribed drugs basically. yeah. In the United States, and the Sackler family have been responsible for it. This is the background troops, um, and they've been trying to wriggle out of it for yonks. In all, the Sackler contributions towards Purdue's bankruptcy exit plan now total roughly $4.5 billion. Imagine what they've made out of it if they're settling for $4.5 billion. What have they got? In their pockets, they Jeffrey. Made a fortune, yeah. Abs- but what are they holding on to? Is well, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I bet the front doorstep's made of gold. <laughs> yeah, the plan aims to resolve some three thousand lawsuits brought by U.S. communities alleging Purdue and its family owners contributed to an opioid cr- crisis. Oh yeah, that has claimed the lives of roughly five hundred thousand people since 1999, according to the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Wow. The Stanford, Connecticut-based uh, company and family members 
have denied the allegations in the litigation. What a surprise. Purdue said that the latest agreement was built on support from other creditors in the company's bankruptcy proceedings and that it hoped to reach an additional consensus on its plan to move billions of dollars of value into trusts for addressing the US opioid crisis. Wow. Sackler family members called the deal, quote, an important step toward providing substantial resources for people and communities in need. That sounds like a platitude if ever I heard one. (laughs) The agreement, supported by long-standing holdouts, including Massachusetts and New York, well, they were two places actually lost a large number, huge numbers of people, sets the stage for Purdue to gain court approval in coming weeks for its bankruptcy plan, which the company values at more than $10 billion. That value is contingent in part on future donations of overdose reversal and addiction treatment medications that the company has under development. The plan would dissolve the company and shift assets to trusts run on behalf of plaintiffs who alleged the company and its owners aggressively marketed the painkiller OxyContin while playing down its abuse and overdose risks. Quote, While I know this resolution does not bring back loved ones or undo the evil of what the Sacklers did, forcing them to turn over their secrets by providing all the documents, forcing them to repay billions, forcing the Sacklers out of the opioid business and shutting down Purdue will help stop anything like this from ever happening again. Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy, the first Attorney General to sue Sackler family members, said in a statement. Yeah, because lots of states have sued. Yes, um, yeah. Purdue Parliament. $10 billion. Wow. Uh, concludes, if approved by the court, the bankruptcy plan would include legal releases shielding the Sacklers from future litigation. A bankruptcy judge halted lawsuits against both the company and the Sacklers after Purdue filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy court protection back in 2019. Quote, it is upsetting that the Sackler family never declared bankruptcy, yet were still granted all of the same protections of bankruptcy as their company, said New York's Attorney General Letitia James during a press conference. There's no perfect solution here, but we can't let we can't let perfect be the enemy of the good. This deal gets one of the nation's most harmful drug dealers out of the opioid business. It's hmm. an interesting quote, isn't it? It is, is it, from a judge? Um, Healy also... Uh, uh, Healy, who said she spoke to opioid victims herself, urged reforms in aspects of the US legal system that allowed the Sacklers to obtain relief from a federal bankruptcy court, but she welcomed the additional deposition transcripts, emails and other evidence that will eventually, quote, be online, forever, searchable and free to the public. Purdue, in November, separately pleaded guilty to three felonies arising from its marketing of prescription opioid painkillers, part of a separate settlement eclipsing $8 billion to resolve U.S. Department of, Department of Justice criminal and civil investigations. This is the kicker. Sackler family members have not been criminally charged. God. They previously mm. agreed to pay $225 million to resolve separate civil allegations with the Justice Department, which family members have denied these allegations. So it, essentially, you're right, it's, it's business expense, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, they, they can write it off. Yeah. yeah, it's business because they're not personally responsible. They are gobsmackingly large amounts of money. I cannot wrap my head around $4 billion or $10 billion. It doesn't make... It does... I can't visualise it, Geoffrey. You know, I, I can envision... Rooms half full up the walls with cash. money, yeah, with yeah. cash just around making walls out of it. People are protected by money. This Sackler family yeah. to be able to forego ten billion dollars in cash to me means that they've got like five hundred billion dollars worth of assets just in the back room. <laughs> At least. And no one's going to jail. No, no one's, one's going to be. Yeah. A, no and no so criminal. Many, so re- many lives have, have paid for that. 500,000 here, my, you know, every year. We were saying every week, you know, that the, the numbers terrible. were growing. You know, they were doing like tens of thousands every day. 
500,000 people were killed. And that's just in the United States. Mm. That doesn't count Canada. It yeah. doesn't count anywhere else. It's just the United States. Mm. No, it's a, it's a horrendous story. But look, if you have a prohibition system and... That's what you get. Yeah. yeah. And Big Pharma were able to market it legally. And, and we started at that very beginning when they were doing the Operation Judah, the drop in the drug... Dobby and a drug dealer, yeah. Operation Dobby and a drug dealer every year, ring up and you know, do that. I used to say, why don't you ring up and Dobby in a pharmaceutical company <laughs> <laughs> or a doctor? I mean, it's pretty much well, the same thing. And look what happens. Yeah, pretty true. much they're going back and went. Oh gosh, yeah, some pharmaceutical company. But you know what? These are an American-based company. That's why they got. That's why they're in strife. If it was a multinational. They wouldn't be able to touch them. Mm. This is because it's the point. Sackler family. They're in the United yeah. States. Yeah, US company. Yeah. If it was something that, yeah, I'm not going to say it again. Not much point in repeating it, but it, yeah, not a multinational. All right, we'll play a quick song and then we'll uh, conclude this week's program. This is The Pretenders and uh, I Go to Sleep. I do. All right, that was The Pretenders and I Go to Sleep. Yeah, um, I did think that was pieces. It's just so ridiculous. For years I've thought it was I Go to Pieces. Happens and a lot I Go lyrics. to Sleep. <laughs> just shows my brain going to pieces. All right, this, this final piece I think is very important. Yeah, um, very the important Lancet article. It's a prestigious yeah. medical journal and they've come out with an editorial saying it's the time to end the war on drugs is long overdue. This is from the July um, Lancet. It is 50 years since the June 18, 1971 address by then US President Richard Nixon that publicised the US administration's war on drugs. Nixon declared that drug abuse was, quote, America's public enemy number one. Despite uh, Nixon mentioning rehabilitation, research and education in his speech, the war on drugs has been an offensive with military interventions, soaring arrest rates and aggressive sentencing. The USA has borne a huge cost, both financially and socially, with those most marginalised and vulnerable shouldering the largest burden. Five decades in, and despite multiple administration changes, no sign of victory can be seen. Um, drug use flourishes with 13%, or nearly 36 million Americans aged 12 or older, in 2019 reporting that they'd used an illicit drug in the preceding month, as revealed by the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. The same year saw 70,630 deaths due to drug overdose, with nearly 50,000 involved in opioids, of which over 14,000 were due to prescription opioids, which is uh, interesting. That, given well, that's mm. only... It's uh, less than it's been. but It's only a third of that 49,000, 50,000 yeah. odd, isn't it? So it's made yeah. an impact. Although HIV was unknown at the time of Richard Nixon's speech, the fate of the war on drugs and the HIV epidemic are intertwined. 186,500 of the 1.2 million people with HIV in the US are believed to have acquired the virus through injecting drug use. Despite the USA seeing an overall fall in HIV diagnoses over the past five years, infections due to injecting drug use are on the rise. If the ambitious target of ending HIV in the United States by 2030 is to be reached, the needs of injecting drug users will be a key part of the strategy. That hasn't taken long for him to catch up with that, Jeffrey. No. has it? We've been doing that since, what, 1985? And they're just getting onto it now. The article goes on, the effects of the war on drugs are not confined to the USA and injecting drug users face stigma and, dis and criminalisation worldwide. Globally, around one in eight people who inject drugs are living with HIV. Uh, that's not in Australia, I might add, and injecting drug users are 29 times more likely than non-users to acquire HIV. In 2019, as shown in new uh, UNAIDS report, Global Commitments, Local Action, 10% of new infections worldwide were those in those who inject drugs. Many of these infections could have been prevented if the war on drugs had not contributed to an environment hostile, both politically and socially, uh, to injecting drug users. Some regions are hit harder than others. In Eastern and Central Asia, 48% of new HIV infections are linked to injecting drug use. A feature of this issue of Lancet HIV from Ed Holt explores the role softening drug laws in this region could have on HIV. 
A linked profile reports the work of Positive Movement, a Belarusian organisation in providing advocacy, support and treatment to people living with HIV who inject drugs in Belarus. Listeners will know that this doesn't necessarily apply to Australia, but... Australia's contribution to, like needle and syringe exchange, to the prevention of HIV is the reason why we have such um, a potent and powerful peer advocacy um, network in Australia, like Karma and its brother and sister organisations around Australia. Um, and the drug using organisations were involved in the networking and the planning of the campaign against HIV so that although some injecting drug users did acquire HIV in the early days, that it reduced substantially, although we still had a fairly high rate of hepatitis C infection, which is a problem in itself. But nonetheless, the tools to prevent harms, including HIV acquisition in people who inject drugs, are backed by a wealth of evidence. Uh, A refusal to implement evidence-based strategies is not only morally wrong, but an economically poor decision. In the USA, every dollar spent on syringe service programs is estimated to save the US 6.38 to 7.58. However, the Global State of Harm Reduction 2020, a report by Harm Reduction International, paints a picture of worsening uh, implementation of harm reduction measures. The number of countries with needle and syringe programs remains stable and the number in which medications for opioid use disorder, opioid use disorder are available has decreased. With the administration of President Joe Biden, there is a chance for a fresh pro- approach to the war on drugs. However, Biden's record on these issues is not encouraging and the initial signs are mixed. Um, now, the priorities of the drug control policy for the first, for the new administration's first year encouragingly include expanding access to evidence-based treatment, enhancing harm reduction efforts and expanding access to recovery support services. However, local policies as well as federal ones will have to change. News of the recent vote by government officials in Scott County... Um, Indiana. Indiana, thank you, dear. USA, (laughs) to close their syringe exchange despite support from law enforcement, health workers and community members is dispiriting. If the value of a service vital in helping to contain an HIV outbreak in 2014 to 15 that led to over 200 HIV infections is not recognised, then the scale of the problem is clear. Work by Greg Gonsalves and Forrest Crawford, published in The Lancet HIV in 2018, indicated that if the region had had services such as syringe exchange in 2011, the number of HIV infections would have been reduced to 10 or fewer. The war on drugs must end. Our previous editorial on the topic highlighted Portugal as an example that other countries should follow. Decriminalisation of personal drug use coupled with increased resources for treatment and harm reduction, <coughs> excuse me, alongside wider initiatives to reduce poverty, poverty and improve access to healthcare could transform the lives of those affected. This transformation might finally be something worth fighting for. That's, that amazes me. Jeffrey, good, yeah. we use US data to support from New York where 60% of injecting drug users were HIV infected in 1984. That was what informed our implementation of needle and syringe exchange in Australia. I can't believe that in 2021 they're just coming to grips with HIV infection or injecting drug use equals HIV infection, therefore needle and syringe exchange. But this is 40 years well, later. it shows to the power 30 of years later. The, the, you know, the war on drugs ideology in the States. That... Uh, well, uh, and it blows me out that they start their war on drugs from President Nixon. We start from 1961. With the single with convention. With the single convention mm. of the United Nations. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? 
It is, but it's good to see the Lancet coming out so strongly. Very good mm. to see, yeah. Um, and I, I'm a glad shame. It, I mean, it's good they're doing just such a long way down the track. And to, yeah, I, I don't know why they take. No, what was I used to say? The Americans, uh, the Americans always do the right thing, eventually. Mm. <laughs> After they've tried everything else, that's what it is. That was from Winston Churchill. The Americans will always do the right thing after they've tried everything else. Well, guess better late than never. But oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on how many people have died from HIV or from overdose or from in unsafe, injecting, unsafe injecting practices um, while waiting for the war on drugs to be over or yeah. for this kind of decision to be made. You can't always judge that, Jeffrey. Anyway. Yeah. Can't always be miserable about this stuff, can we, Dom? No, and we must um, continue to try and inform people about the reality well, of the war on people yeah, drugs. And that's the point, isn't it? You know, we read the articles, we tell people the story. They have to do with it what they will. We cannot get into people's heads and make them change their minds. It's but just at least not possible. if you get people to think, give you them have information a yeah. and hope. Yeah, that's what we do mostly, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I think so. All right, well, that uh, pretty much brings us to the end of this uh, week's show. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Louise, for no coming dramas. in. Thank, Thank you, my you. darlings. It's been a, an we have interesting Josh next day. Week. Much yep. nicer being in here and, than being outside <laughs> and being too cold. cold. Yeah. I doubt the temperature's gone up much in the interim. <laughs> I bet it hasn't. It's probably gone down. Please, everybody, look after each other. Look keep after safe. yourselves. Yeah, yes. keep safe. You do yeah. keep safe. Well said. Yeah. And we'll see you next week or we'll talk to you next week. Yep, and don't forget we have our special guest. In oh, Josh yes, I'd better wear my best dress. Hepatitis ACT. <laughs> and uh, we will talk about all things hepatitis. All, and, things, uh, all things bright and beautiful and positive. Yep, give and, out hope. And yeah. get some more details about Absolutely, the, the really positive impact of, of um, the, the, what is it? Reach, the, teach, treat. Reach, teach, treat or double? Double, double gain. gain. Yeah, double that gain. That was the